in each interaction and in each situation, I try to bring a different perspective. And it may not be right. I always preface it with, look, I'm probably not right, but I just want to be you know, somebody who's going to question things differently for you and for everyone else who's you know, maybe on the Zoom or you know, in the call or around the table at, at the company. Welcome back to the Vitalize Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Gordon, the Director of Marketing here at Vitalize Venture Capital. On today's episode, we have Jonathan Heiliger, General Partner at Vertex Ventures US, a boutique fund that invests early, often the first, in enterprising founders who make it possible for new applications and services to be born. Let's dive in. Jonathan, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, man. Yeah, I appreciate you taking the time. And with Vertex Ventures, with people who aren't familiar, where are you investing? What's the focus of Vertex? Tell us more about that. Yeah, so we started Vertex Ventures in the U.S. about seven years ago. Um, we are early stage investors, which I think is a little bit of a moving target these days. <laughs> we we approach investing uh, really given our backgrounds as as founders, as it's you know these are long journeys and it's a full contact sport. So um, we want to we elected to be very focused with how we invest. So we make about three to five investments a year across the, the team, the partnership. There's four four investors and a couple of people in operating roles. And we, in particular, focus on B2B software markets. And then within B2B software, there's things we like and things we don't like. You can kind of think of it like a hot or not list. Um, we spend a lot of time, about half our time, in horizontal infrastructure. So cloud services, developer tools, data, uh, data and data-related services essentially all like primitives that you might then use to build, you know, some vertical SaaS applications in HR or finance or other B2B applications. But we really focus on those, those three horizontal layers and then spend a little bit of time in those in, in different verticals. And those verticals change about every 18 months. So like I'm kind of coming off spending time in construction and real estate and now spending more time actually thinking about like infrastructure as a service and what's, what's going to be the next big thing to happen there. With that, when you launched, uh, so in twenty in twenty fifteen, then with Vertex Ventures US, with that, is it a matter of like you you knew right away what the focus was going to be in terms of where you launched and it's evolved since then, or has it kind of stayed the same? I'm just kind of curious of how that's how that's evolved since twenty fifteen. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, great, great question, Justin. Um, I'd say when we started initially, it was very infrastructure focused. Probably eighty ninety percent of the things that you know we we evaluated and entrepreneurs we partnered with. Um, and that was seven years ago. And so as we've evolved, I think it's, it's partially as the value has shifted out of infrastructure into more kind of full stack applications than, uh, you know, just sort of purely horizontal software. Um, but, you know, we, we still see, you know, tremendous like opportunities really in, in you know, building the tools that are, that are building the foundations of the internet. For example, you know, recent investment that was just announced, I think in the last week, uh, we co-led uh, the seed round of a company called Orquez with Battery Ventures. Um, Orquez is uh, really a company that was founded by former Netflix engineers, and they're commercializing Netflix Conductor, which is like an orchestration system for microservices, right? So if you think about e-commerce or pretty much any business these days is constructed of dozens to hundreds of microservices that, you know, there's, this is a conductor and Orcas are tools to then manage and orchestrate all of the sort of business logic that runs on top of that. So very horizontal, applies to lots of different businesses, you know, based in open source, but now offering commercial software, uh, you know, support and, and features up above and beyond the open source. 
with the last, you know, you've been in this in the space a while, uh, a decade or more. With with this time, you've seen the the changes of this industry in the last decade. I'm curious for for your perspective, like what have been maybe some of the biggest changes you've seen, you know, since you started in in venture to now in 2022. And I, me being at Vitalize, you know, we see these changes over over time, even in the last year or two. I'm just curious from your perspective with a longer time horizon, what have you kind of notice around the changes of venture and what, into what kind of what we have today in the venture space. Yeah, that's interesting, man. Well, I have a lot of gray hair. So I've, I mean, I've sort of been in and around venture and, and I've sort of tacked, my career is tacked between operating and investing for 25 years. I started a venture fund in 1999, which was a great time or a terrible time to be a venture investor. I was at Global Crossing at the time. Uh, for us, it worked out pretty well, but yeah, sort of been more seriously investing for the last seven, eight years as a venture investor versus also an angel investor, which I think is an, a whole other thing we could probably spend a whole <laughs> uh, 20, 30 minutes talking about, right? Of course. In terms of companies, I mean, I think the biggest shift is it used to be you raise five to $10 million and you, you take 80% of that money and you invest in infrastructure to like pop up your website, your e-commerce shop, your you know SaaS application, whatever the case is. Obviously that's gone away thanks to the advent of cloud computing, uh, you know, being able to sort of, you know, buy on a credit card and, and grow and scale. Um, you know, I think also, you know, the other obvious one is that the internet has grown dramatically. Uh, you, you know, when, when I started, there was probably, well, when I started the internet, like was just the NSF net, but when I started more seriously, I was like 17. Um, you know, when I started my first company, there was probably 5 million people on the internet growing to 50 million. And now there's, you know, whatever, 5 billion people on the internet, plus or minus a billion, depending on the day of the week. Um, but I think as it relates to venture that, Deal making pace, especially in the last call it five years, has really picked up. Where I feel like, you know, when I started my first company, there was a sort of romance to raising venture capital and like building that relationship. And and now it's like, no, no, it's velocity. And it's like, who's going to cut me a check first? And can I get, you know, money at lunch or this or that? Um, and as both a founder and investor, it, it kind of saddens me because I think that that's very transactional when, you know, these are often. In, or in most cases, I would even say, you know, eight to 10 year, if not longer journeys that we go on with founders, uh, or as a founder with with our investors. And it really helps to know the people, I think, before you get in business with them. Um, and then, you know, I think writ, writ large, if we just sort of look at investment volume, uh, you know, deal volume is up, you know, 2x year on year, just in the last two years. Um, but that is actually it's actually been relatively stable when you zoom back out, sort of looking at the five to seven year horizon in terms of deal volume, but dollars has risen very dramatically, right? So the amount of money that companies are able to raise and then invest in talent and, you know, marketing and branding and turning venture dollars into Google dollars, right? You know, sort of spending on ads um, like that has really, um, you know, continues to rise steadily every year. With that, to that point, then Jonathan, you mentioned the volume of deals. It is insane how many deals. I mean, I talked to some firms where they're 30, 40, 50, 60 in a year. You're just like, that's insane. For you staying so focused in, you know, you mentioned three to five deals a year, maybe. Yeah. What helps you on that, staying on that path, even with the velocity of deals happening around you, knowing you're trying to just pick those best three to five, what gives you that conviction or helps you stick to that, not change your strategy? Like, I'm just curious on how you've handled that so far, Jonathan. Man, well, I'll be honest that there's not a night that I don't go to sleep or there's not a morning I don't wake up when I don't have FOMO um, (laughs) uh, for something that I missed or, or, you know, that we didn't get to do. 
Um, and, and sometimes that FOMO turns into JOMO, the joy of missing out. Um, but look, I would say, in, you know, in, in reality, you know, the press gets to cover maybe the top 2% of, or 5% of venture deals that, you know, get, get done and get, then get written about. The reality is there's way more deals that, that never get touched. And again, if we look at sort of the, the recent history of venture capital, the last decade or two, in terms of companies that drive returns, it's generally 10% win rate is how we think about it as investors, that 10% of the companies will generate significant returns and pay for the other 90% of investments in the fund. Um, one of the things I think that we like about being concentrated and focused is it allows us to you know, kind of be put some blinders on and focus on a few companies, a few markets, a few founders, be more helpful um, than than maybe the average and, you know, introduce our networks and, you know, help recruit, do all those types of things. But then the results are, they're still early for us because we're a very young fund, but so far we have a 20% win rate. And so kind of double the, you know, the the median or the average there. Actually, I don't remember if it's median or average, but let's just say one or, one or the other. Um, yeah you know, in, in seed and early stage funds. So, you know, that's kind of what I think keeps us going and keeps us wanting to be focused and concentrated. And, and also just quite frankly, uh, Justin, just cause you know, there's only so many hours in the day and like, I can't, I, I can only spread, you know, myself and my, my partners can, we can only spread ourselves so much that, um, you know, I admire the people who have built index funds, especially at early stage, not index ventures, but index funds of venture, um, <laughs> You know, and they're they're able to produce great returns, and they have, a, I think, you know, end up investing in a lot of great companies. But it's a very different style of investing, and and you know, we work with many of them. They're on the same cap tables we are, and you know, we're we're apples to their oranges in terms of the services and value that you know we provide to founders. With that too, and just talking more about the strategy behind it, I know being in the conversations with with our team about our strategy at Vitalize, you know, we always thinking about what route to go with it. There's different people doing kind of interesting new things in terms of venture and the space in general, you know, how concentrated do you want to be in your portfolio or not with you? Is it something that in that fund, obviously when you raise a fund, you have the strategy laid out, uh, LPA, mm -hmm. all that stuff, but we look at kind of the future and everything as well. Like, how do you think about that in terms of adjusting strategy, things you might want to change for next time? Is that just something like, oh, we'll take note and, you know, not worry about that because that's a later problem. Like, I'm just curious for your perspective on, on, on the strategy of, of your fund as well on that. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're going through it right now uh, in terms of like, we're raising our third fund. We're in the, in the process of raising it. We started in, started investing it in on September 1st. Um, and the market's changed since the last fund we raised, which was fund two. <laughs> We rate, closed that the beginning of 2019, invested it from January 2019 to September um, 21. And um, we actually have this, this phrase in our deck, which is we're keeping consistent to our strategy. We've been consistently deploying capital. Our first fund, we probably deployed a little bit too slowly. It took us um, almost, it took us about three and a half years to invest that fund that we started in 2015, where most of our peers were sort of on a two, two and a half year investment cycle. Um, but RLPs, many of them thanked us for that because they're like, well, these all, all these other folks came back early for re-ups and bigger funds and you guys didn't. Um, but where that's hurt us is because of the longer deployment time, returns are taking longer to materialize. And, and obviously IRR has a, has a dampening effect there. But as we think about fund three, it's, it is sort of largely sticking to our strategy, sticking to being early. We invest at sort of we think about three phases of investing or a company that we would that we would invest in. The first phase is 
kind of inception or pre-seed investing. You know, it's an idea. We can explain the dream to each other with of working with that founder in in the market. And you know, we'll invest in today's market 500k to two million dollars, roughly speaking, at you know at that stage. Um, and maybe we're doing it alone. Maybe we're doing it with someone else. That's a separate separate calculus. And then the second second type of investments we make are seed investments, uh, where we're basically looking for like leading indicators, some amount of product market fit, but generally no revenue. And so that's like a kind of a two to $4 million investment from us. Again, could be by ourselves or with, with syndicates. Most of the investments we make are in syndicates with other investors, both angels and other institutions. And then third category is basically early revenue. That could be series A, it could be series B. I think those round labels are changing a lot. You know, that looks like a five to 10, five to 10 or even five to $12 million investment from us. Again, generally part of a syndicate. So that might be a 20 or $30 million round that, you know, we're leading or co-leading or, or participating in. Um, but, you know, and then, and the idea there is that for inception companies, we generally don't reserve to follow on. So we're not reserving capital, but how we think about the engagement with founders is that at seed and series A and beyond, we're reserving dollar for dollar to follow on into those companies. And, and that's what, you know, so then our model is that gives us roughly 25 investments in a, out of a $200 million fund. And, you know, again, hopefully we can maintain the sort of 20% win rate. So if we start with 25, hopefully we have five that, you know, generate material returns, you know, for, for us and our investors and all the founders that, that we work with. And we look at this through the lens of something that uh, called Soros ratio, which is sort of the ratio of dollars your winners make versus dollars your your losers uh, or the companies that that don't make it provide right and and that ratio between the two can be constant and it generally is in the case of venture concentrated in terms of there's a few winners that really break out that then drag up the whole whole portfolio that's less common in b2b investing where we focus in that because there's so many exits that happen in b2b between half a billion and a billion dollars yeah at least you know, in, in 2020, leading up to 2021, right? We'll see what the current market conditions and multiples do. Um, but again, you know, for, I think for seed seed funds, seed investors, and even series A investors, having multiple exits at the sort of 500 million to billion dollar mark, like those are meaningful returns for, for founders, for employees, and for, you know, funds of our size. That doesn't necessarily work for people on sort of multi-billion dollar platforms, uh, <laughs> right? They, they really need to play for the $10 billion style outcome. And again, those are companies that maybe get a lot of press, right? It's going to be interesting to see that. To that point, you see these massive funds making like 300 or $400 million seed funds now, you know, they're coming, kind of coming down from that. But then also what you're seeing is these operator investors who are launching these $10 million funds. Uh, most of them are doing $10 million funds. Obviously, the regulations kind of makes it easier to do it that way. Um, and then you're seeing them, obviously, with the returns they need. They don't need, like your point, they don't need $10 billion exits. They, they can be fine with a couple hundred million dollar exits based on the fund size and the actual portfolio, you know, how that returns. It's it's going to be five x, ten x, whatever. It'll be great, mm -hmm. uh, but it's obviously a small fund, so a lot of different strategies with that. With the follow on too. So you mentioned not in the early years, but you will do one for one in kind of the middle round. Are you? Do you have like ownership targets as well with with that you're trying to maintain? I know we've kind of gone back and forth at Vitalize on that as well. I'm just curious on like your, your thoughts on that too. Yeah, I guess I'm curious to hear how do how do you think how do you guys think about it at Vitalize in terms of like what do you think about it in terms of initial ownership or exit ownership? Yeah, well, I'll say for some of the companies, 
let's put this up. for some of the companies we have that are have gone really big, we obviously would love to have more of an ownership in those companies. And just with how it worked out, you know, it may only be a couple percentage, but obviously it's huge for us with our first fund being 16 million. I think we had been playing with in this next uh, fund we will raise at some point uh, a, a more so 10% ownership stake, but that really depends on obviously the company. And then, you know, we like to reserve, I think it's one for two in terms of follow-on, not necessarily doing one for one, but like half in terms of follow-on. But that's all something that can be fluid in some ways until it's actually, until you actually finalize the raise of the fund and obviously raise the fund itself. So uh, we would love to have that ownership target initial, at least not necessarily keeping that, but obviously just having a higher percentage as they move forward through the rounds. But no right answer, <laughs> but I'm yeah. always curious yeah. as to what people do. <laughs> yeah, no, I think, I think that's, uh, it's it's a great it's great to have that I think mentality right I think one of the things with these models is you know we sort of start with that model it's obviously what we sell what we sign up for as as the GPs and as the investors and we sell it to the people who you know our clients right are the people who've invested in us um, but you know the market is a, is a fluid one in terms of there's competition at at every stage and at every layer of the stack um, and one of the unique things I think about venture is that while Pretty much everyone is a competitor. Everyone's also a collaborator, right? We have yep. to figure out how to, how to work with each other. And so I think we, we have seen, you know, average ownership decrease over time. Uh, you know, back when I was a, a wee little boy in, in venture, um, you know, it was very common for if two firms were leading the Series A or the first round, you know, today we'd probably call that a seed, that they would get 30%, uh, you know, 15 each or even 35%. Right, uh, significant, significant ownership, and and today I think at least at when in when founders come into Vertex and we see that they've already diluted thirty or thirty five percent for a small seed, you know maybe five million dollars or less, that makes it tough for us and and we think for then follow on investors because they, the founders have given up so much equity away from themselves, right, that they may not have the incentives to really kind of stick around and and, and stick to the business long term. So, you know, because you were kind of to share some of your data, how, how we think about it is in, in terms of those three buckets of investing, inception, we're looking for kind of five to 10%. These are big ranges, right? Um, five to 10% at seed. Uh, it's more like 12 to 17%. And the big swing there is, are we doing it solo, maybe with a couple of operators or angels, or are we going to partner with another fund and kind of two funds, you know, do the seed round? And then at series A or, or even later, potentially, it's it's kind of ten to fifteen percent, which is overlapping a little bit, but obviously the dollars at work are generally two x um, yep. for you know for for that same ownership. And you know if I look at our portfolio ownership over time, fund one, you know the median initial ownership of that fund was probably nineteen percent, and then you know as companies raise follow on rounds, the best companies generally there's so much capital that gets thrown at them that they get oversubscribed and that means inside investors have to kind of cut back our ownership a little bit. And I think not every founder realizes that on, on day one, but it becomes a fact of life. And that founder or that CEO um, has to be the one to make those hard calls and say, well, you know, I've got this new shiny investor and they want to own X. And that means, sorry, Jonathan, even though you've been by my side for four years, I need you to take, you know, 10% less or 20% less um, in, in your, in your ownership. Right. And that's always a, a tough conversation between investors and founders. To that point, with your experience and your num you're on a number of boards uh, with Vertex, and you've been, as you said, in the industry for a while. Those hard conversations with founders, 
Tell me more about how you approach those. I know it's a case by case basis. It's different, but that's something, you know, especially if you're being on a board with so many different companies, how do you approach those? What's, what's been helpful for you, at least for other investors out there who are on boards or getting on board soon. And I'm curious about that whole process too. You know, it's, it's, it's a mixed bag. It's a mixed bag. Um, of course. So, you know, I think, yeah, one of, one of my partners in SIC who, st- who started the fund together describes himself as the prototypical Asian dad. And, and he's, he's, he's also Asian, so that works, um, you know, in, in terms of how he coaches and mentors founders. Uh, I, I don't have either of those things. Like, we don't have kids um, and, and, and uh, obviously different background. So I would say that I have found the founder-investor kind of relationship and matchmaking. It's a little bit like dating at the beginning. Um, we're both trying to figure each other out. Um, do we want to work together? Can we work together? Do we have common interests, diverse interests, all of those types of things? Um, and in each interaction and in each situation, I try to bring a different perspective and it may not be right. Uh, and, and, and I, I always preface it with, look, I'm probably not right, but I just want to be, you know, somebody who's going to question things differently, um, for you and for everyone else who's, you know, maybe on the zoom or, you know, in the call or around the table at, at the company. And I think a lot of that has been informed by managing thousands of people over my career arc, um, where management is, is similar. It's it's one to one. It's you know everyone is is a snowflake and needs a little bit kind of different treatment and style. But if we all sign up and agree on a common set of goals, a common set of objectives, then you know we we can kind of look at that and measure ourselves against against those goals and objectives and how we're progressing against them. And I think one of the most important things that a venture investor brings to especially a young company and young, you know, young founding team in the sense of they're early in their journey, not necessarily age young, is that horizontal perspective, that market perspective. Because founders, and you know, we, we've been there, right? Like we're so consumed with growing and building our company. That's all we think about night and day, seven days a week. But one of the things, cool things about being a VC is we get to look across you know, dozens of companies, and some people look across hundreds of companies to understand this growth rate, that growth rate, this sales tactic, this marketing tactic, this hiring tactic, and bring all of that back to bear, you know, in terms of providing a tapestry or a panel of data for founders. And so I found that um, being able to sort of bring that objective type of data to discussions has been has been very, very productive. In, and, and especially, as I said, at sort of the early stages, but then also, like as a company grows to having hundreds of employees, not all the time, but in most cases, at least in the boards that I'm on, that's the largest number of people the founders ever had to manage, right? And and so they're and they're having to manage and hire VPs, managers of managers, and all of those types of people for the first time. And having gone through that several times in my career, I've you know built up some bumps and bruises and some muscle memory on what works and what doesn't work. It's so much to be said for having that that experience, that broad experience, especially as a VC. Just like you said, there's so many you're seeing so many companies constantly, and obviously you're pass, you're passing on a ton of them, especially for investing three to five deals, you know, per mm-hmm. year. And to have that experience as a VC for then build on that compounding year after year after year, how many deals you've seen, just to have some perspective for founders like that to me is so valuable. Uh, and I know founders have mentioned that same thing in different ways. People have different perspectives. They have multiple investors. They can look at different angles from that as well. I know we're almost out of time. I'm just curious real quick, angel vesting. I know you brought that up quickly. It could have been a whole conversation, but just take me through that side of things a little bit with you in the past. 
how that's kind of affected you as an investor. I know I talked to Leo Polovitz from Susa Ventures. He's still mm -hmm. angel invests actually, because mm -hmm. he doesn't do that many deals out of Susa, but he does a lot of angel investing to get that muscle memory. For you, where does that fit in in terms of angel investing? For for me, I found I personally found angel investing. Well, let me, let me back up. Before I even had the capital to angel invest, I invested my time, and it was you know so I became an advisor to a couple dozen companies, uh, you know names you'd recognize today like Dropbox or Box or YouTube, and then you know the prior generation of companies before them because I didn't have the balance sheet to even write a ten thousand dollar check, much less a hundred thousand dollar check, in, you know for for those companies at the earliest stages, and I found that 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 actually kind of advising, like it was a great way of getting to know a bunch of people kind of testing the waters. And I was also naturally then I was on their side because I wasn't this big, bad or good investor. Uh, I was, you know, a common shareholder, all of those types of, you know, with all of the same elements as the rest of the employees and, and then the founders of the company. Um, but that's also what led me to become a VC. Uh, I saw, you know, the opportunity and the upside and I saw what the, you know, founders, even the best founders end up leaving early investors behind as you know investors with 10 million 100 million or more invest in the company like they naturally start to spend time with those folks as companies grow and scale and having been an operator having been a founder and then an investor or advisor like i was like oh i want i want to have that full life cycle that breadth but I also want to start at early stages, right? Very early. And at Vertex, we like to get involved early. We're often the first check. We like to be, you know, the water boys, the guides, the mentors, the Sherpas, whatever descriptor you like, you know, for, for founders and really help them kind of get the fundamentals right early. Um, you know, and we think that makes us kind of smart money investors versus people that are, you know, more focused on the metrics on growth than on, you know, behaviors and things like that. And so, Personally, where I've now started angel investing again is in backing friends and colleagues that are building their own venture funds that are, I think, doing, you know, not the same things that I do because I've got a lot of my own um, net worth tied up in, in Vertex and in a couple yep. other things. But in helping a friend start a fund that's investing at the intersection of bio and technology or in new types of materials or in you know, D2C consumer brands, things that I know nothing about because I'm, I'm interested to learn about them. Uh, and then you know, from a capital allocation standpoint, it's giving me that kind of angel investing experience. And then honestly, the, the last part is being a GP is, I would argue, just as lonely, maybe even lonelier than being a CEO of a company. You really don't get to compare notes with people because as we've talked about, right, we're all competing, but we're also all collaborating. Yeah. And so to have those connections and the relationships with people where I've invested in their funds, they've in turn invested in my fund. Uh, it feels pretty good, right? To be able to work together, um, work with people in that fashion. Chad, I know we're out of time. Where's the best place for founders to go to reach out to you guys? Yeah, the, the best place is definitely vertexventures.com or shoot me an email. My email is pretty easy. It's jh at vertexventures.com. Awesome. Thank you so much for the time today. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. Hey, thanks for listening. If you want to learn more about us, head on over to vitalize.vc. You can also follow us on Twitter at vitalizevc, or you can follow me on Twitter at justingordon212. Have a great day, and I'll talk to you in the next episode.